Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Welcome everyone. My name's Andrew, by the way, if you don't know me. I'm the worship pastor. It's a lofty title, isn't it? I'm just a person who loves to worship God. And, uh, and I'm working in the church office. Um, I do love to worship God. I, he's amazing. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration and worship. And, uh, and my job is to help all of us worship God every day, all day long, and to grow in that. Um, I want to play us a song. Some of you guys will hear it, and you'll think, I think it's from the movie Beethoven, with that dog. Remember that dog, Beethoven? Uh, that, what is it? Uh, what song? What dog is it? St. Bernard. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, I want to play you guys a song. Antonio, are you ready? And then let's stand up. And I'll tell you why in a minute.
let's stay standing. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those that seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is, who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. You guys can have a seat. Thanks for standing. There's an amazing story about that song we just heard. It's from a, a musical called Messiah. I'm sure for some of you that was your first classical music you've ever heard in your life. Are we going to name and shame anyone? Um, it's called the Hallelujah Chorus. When, when, it was, when it came out, so Handel was the composer who released it in about 1743. And uh, when it came out, they had a, a huge concert in London. King George II was there. And the, the concert's quite long. If you, I've been to one of them, uh, not that one with King George II, that was a long time ago. But, um, <laughs> but they, they did it sorry, about three years ago in, a, in Cape Town in the City Hall. Uh, we knew one of the opera singers. Uh, yeah, and we went to listen. It was incredible. But that Hallelujah Chorus is right at the end. Super powerful. I'll read you some of the lyrics now. But what was incredible in that piece was the concert went on and it came to the Hallelujah Chorus. And when... The words started, hallelujah, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, reigns. King George II stood to his feet because he acknowledged the King of Kings who is above him. He stood to his feet and he acknowledged the King. That's an incredible story for me. It's an incredible story of, a, of an earthly king who had a huge kingdom, but he acknowledged the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The words to the Hallelujah Chorus, you can't hear it that clearly. I was playing it for my wife yesterday, and she was like, can you hear what they're singing? And I said, I can, but I know the lyrics. Um, so he says, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, uh, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Powerful. And he reigns, he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. He shall reign forever and ever. Incredible, incredible uh, proclamation of who God is. Really worship and praise to Him. Psalm 24, it actually starts with a declaration of its own. Um, I love this psalm. I've always loved it. But it's also a scary psalm for me, <laughs> to be really honest, and we'll get to that just now. But how it starts is just such a proclamation. Um, it says, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. 
In one of the other translations, it says, in the fullness thereof. It's the Lord's. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not any huge companies out there or, or even governments and kingdoms. It's the Lord's earth. The fullness thereof is his. The diamonds are his. The gold is his. Everything is his. Animals are his. We are his. It says here, the world and all who live in it, all who live in it, are his. We are his. Everyone else in the world is his. Why? How can you say that? How can you be so arrogant? It says, for he founded it upon the seas. He founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. That is why God can be king over this world. That is why God can be king over our lives. Because he founded this world. He, found, he built this world. We belong to him. So this Psalm 24, it's interesting. It seems like it's pieced together from a few different pieces of literature. And it seems like David, it was kind of written around the time that David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to, back to Jerusalem. And uh, I love that story. Uh, I taught in second year Bible school about the tabernacle of David. And it revolved very much around that story of, God, of him bringing the Ark back. Very much the presence of God bringing it back into the city of God. And, um, and Henny has also been preaching about that. I know he preached about 2 Samuel 6 uh, a while ago. But this is a hymn pretty much about God as king. God as king. He's, what's also incredible uh, is in that line, he established it on the waters. In the translation, it's actually speaking about the waters of chaos. And it's actually reminding us very much of uh, Genesis 1 verse 2. It says the spirit was hovering over the waters and the waters were chaotic. So God as king is bringing order to the world. God brings order to the world. He brings order out of chaos. That's what he does as king. His kingly mandate. What's very interesting is um, I'm, I'm, I love apologetics. I'm not going to call myself an apologist because... Got a lot to learn still. It's quite hard to, to do that, uh, to kind of debate people on, on the existence of God and, and many other things. But I love it. I love watching all the best guys in the, in the business, if you want to call it that, uh, debate uh, really tough people. And I mean, this first two verses is like flying in the face of, of many people now today, atheists. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. He founded it upon the oceans, upon the seas, established it upon the waters. It's, it's very important that we believe that, that we know that, that God created this world. God created this world. God's the king in this world. And, uh, yeah. Now, just moving on to the next section. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? It's a very interesting question. I know many times I've come to this verse or to this uh, scripture and I've gone, okay, well, I know what's written next and I'm not the guy who can ascend the hill of the Lord. Many times, uh, I can tell you this morning even, I just had to be honest with you guys, uh, having a bit of a skirmish with my wife that we had to sort out later, I didn't feel like I'm the guy who can ascend the hill of the Lord. Uh, 
we need we need peace in our hearts, peace in our homes. Um, we're going to speak about it a bit just now. Yeah, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. It's interesting when you think of that. You kind of, I, I guess, I think it'll always change wherever you're at. Uh, maybe some days you're going, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty well. I think I'll be okay. I can ascend. Uh, and then I think most days most of us can go, no, I don't think my hands are clean enough. <laughs> I don't think my heart is pure enough. Idols, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible word and it goes around in Christianity, but I probably have a few, I guess. <laughs> but uh, what is an idol? It's something that's in the place of God. So you're lifting up your soul to an idol. You're lifting up, you're, bearing, you're putting your weight. Actually, the translation is you lean on an idol instead of leaning on God with all your weight. You bear your, you bear your soul upon this idol. There's a problem here. We can see it. It's been a, a problem through the ages, and it comes from the fall. It comes from the fall. Why is there this mountain, the mountain of the Lord, mountain of God, that, um, that there's this question posed? Who? Who can ascend? You know, I think the idea was, especially in the Garden of Eden, a beautiful scripture in, uh, where it says that, and the Lord walked in the cool of the day with them, and uh, that's when he was looking for them, actually. But, um, but just incredible fellowship that, uh, that he had, that he had with, with Adam and Eve. And that fellowship was broken with a fall. And now this question is asked, who can ascend that mountain of the Lord? I'm going to pray for us quickly. I forgot to pray. Yes, Lord, we just thank you tonight that you are, a, you are our king. You are our king. You are worthy and holy and awesome. You are awesome. Thank you just for establishing a reign of peace. Thank you that you are the king of peace. God, you do so much. And we just, we're so privileged to be in your kingdom. We're so privileged to be under your wing. And tonight, we just want to hear your voice, Lord. We want you to lead us. Lead us forward, God. Lead us on. We look to you. Tonight, God, I just thank you that now, God, we distractions come in so quickly, but right now we look at you. We behold you. We seek your face. We look to you, God. We lean upon you tonight. And we thank you that you'll never let us go, Lord, and you'll never let us down. We thank you that you're so good. Amen. My mouth's getting really dry. don't know uh, if anyone else has moved up to Joburg from Cape Town. I've been here a year and a half already, but dry, 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 dry. It's very dry here. <laughs> Incredible. And it's so strange when I remember visiting a few times. And like, I remember the first time I came to Joburg like for work, my lips dried up. I'm like, what is this? Is there something wrong with me? Am I dying or something? Just, it's really dry here. We're very high up. Um, so if we think of the king... We think of the king of the universe, the king of this world. 
surely he can lay down the rules for how we can approach him, for how we can come to him, for how we can fellowship with him. Surely, surely he can. So we could see in the first couple of verses, God has all rights to us. He really does. He is the king. He has all rights to us. But we don't have all rights to him. We don't. And I think many times we would prefer it to be the other way around. We'd prefer that he doesn't have all the rights to us. And we'd prefer that, uh, yeah, that we have all rights to him because sometimes we want him to do stuff. Sometimes we want him to, you know, do this, do that, uh, perform something for us. But <laughs> actually it's the other way around. He has all rights to us as king. And we don't have all rights to him. So here's the scripture. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? So what happened? Why don't we have access to him? So we spoke about the fall. The fall cut us off from fellowship with God, intimate fellowship with God. And it doesn't mean that that purpose stopped, because the purpose was still intimate fellowship with God. That is the purpose of our lives. We are supposed to walk in intimate fellowship with God. We're supposed to enjoy him. We're supposed to come under his rule and enjoy his presence. And uh, what's interesting from this psalm, I'm seeing two things. I'm seeing kind of like a resistance to the rule of God, but also a resistance to the presence of God, actually. And funnily enough, the two go, they are, you cannot separate them. But um, if we think of our own lives, uh, or even out there, let's rather say out there, there's sometimes a movement, in, even in the church, where we want the presence of God, we want to experience God, we want to have a great time with God, but we don't, we don't really want the rule of God in our lives. We don't want to come under Him and let Him rule our hearts, let Him rule our lives as King. And there's many reasons for that, and some of them valid, probably. Most of them not. <laughs> um, but then there's on the other side, some of us don't want the presence of God, uh, it's interesting, like when the Israelites were at the mountain and there was lightning and thunder and all kinds of stuff and they said, Moses, I think you can go up. Uh, we'll be fine. We'll just stay right here. So they didn't want the presence of God. They just want, you, you can bring the rules, we'll, we'll follow them, but we're not interested in the presence of God. I can tell you now that we need both. We really do. The rule of, if you're stuck in the rule of God in, in a thwarted way, let's say, you can easily become legalistic. If you're stuck wanting the presence of God, you can easily become liberal and actually fall away from, from God's kingdom and from what God is saying and how God uh, operates. We need to do both. We need to be under the rule of God as king, as an, as an incredible king, by the way. We're going to get to that now. We also have to be in the presence of God. We really do need to be in the presence of God. And, uh, and I, I love our church. I, I think, I really think those are two things that we pursue. We really pursue to know God's will, to follow God, to know him, to know his word, because he rules us many times through the word. But we also love his presence. We love to be in the presence of God. We, we run to it. And that's incredible. And, uh, and I would almost just, my heart's desire is that we just grow in those two things. We pursue that with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength. The rule of God and the, and the presence of God. 
like I said, when I came, when I came to the scripture many times, funnily enough, I actually had a condemnation in my heart. I almost felt like, no, I can't. I don't have clean hands, and I don't have a pure heart. But I desire God. I want to be in his presence. I really do. Now, just a few kind of translations of, cle of clean for clean hands. Innocent, blameless, clean, clear, exempt, free, guiltless. Hands of palms or power. It's pretty much the outward, outward kind of side of our life, our outer life, like what we can see. What we do, we do things with our, with our bodies. Funnily enough, behavior modification or all kinds of programs are very popular nowadays. Um, there's all kinds of gurus too for uh, help in many things. But can we get our hands clean enough to come into the presence of a holy God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? We can't. Pure hearts. Pure means clear, sincere. Heart is the center of the physical life in our body and the spiritual life in our body. It's also the seat of our appetites, the seat of our affections, the seat of our purposes and our endeavors. It's our inner life. I hope I'm not the only one who struggles to keep this heart pure. It's, it's hard. It's really hard to keep it pure in many ways. What's funny is clean hands and a pure heart actually are summed up in one word, and that's integrity. Because integrity is doing what you say you're going to do. So you've got something in your heart, you want to do it, and you do it, then you've actually met your kind of intention and, with action, and that's integrity. If it oh, can be good and bad. What's interesting, too, is that we can't sit here and go, I'm all right, but oh, I know a lot of people with impure hearts <laughs> and unclean hands. I'm sure there's a lot of them, especially at my work, my family, my brother. What's interesting, here's a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn. He says, if it were only that simple... If only, there were, if, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, wouldn't that be fantastic? But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? It's an incredible quote. There's more. The, the scripture says we must trust in God alone. It actually says we mustn't trust in, uh, in idols. We trust in idols all the time, unfortunately. We really do. Um, we lean on things. It's sometimes really hard to trust God. Can I just be honest? In my own life, it's really hard to, <laughs> to do the right thing and just really trust God, really lean on God in a, in a certain place, especially when it's going tough. It's easier to do something else. Um, no empty promises. There's lots of other scriptures, actually, the same kind of layout. Psalm 15 says, 
This is even worse, actually. <laughs> it says, the Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and who does not change their mind? Wow. Has anyone changed their mind <laughs> recently? <laughs> does not change their mind. Sure. Who lends money to the poor without interest, and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent? Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Seems like there's no hope for us. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> we can all go home now. No, I'm joking. Um, so what's interesting is David wrote the psalm. Okay. I don't know if you've read some of the da- stories about David, but he was dodged sometimes. Okay. Colloquial word. He mentions Jacob in the psalm. Jacob, oh my goodness. He deceived his own brother. Okay, his mom was in on it. That's also quite strange, you know. Liar, deceiver. But yet he's mentioned here in Who Seek Your Face, O God of Jacob. So what happened? These guys are incredible in the way that they sought God with their dirty hands and their impure hearts. They sought God. They needed him. They knew that he was their life. He was the king. He was the king of their lives. He, they, sought, they sought him. I mean, Jacob, he had two incredible encounters with God. One was when he lay his head on a rock. I don't know how you sleep on a rock, by the way. I cannot think that it's comfortable. I've never slept on a rock before. Has anyone ever laid down his head on a rock? Philip? Is it right? Not nice. No. Not a good sleep. Um, and he had this dream of the stair- stairway to heaven, pretty much, and uh, angels descending, and, and just an experience of the presence of God. And he, he actually said, I'll call this place Bethel because God is in this place. So he had an incredible experience with God. And this is Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver. Then God worked in his life. He decided he's going to reconcile with Esau, his brother, who he'd pretty much stolen his birthright, stolen his inheritance, stolen his blessing of the firstborn. And, uh, and just before he met with Esau, it's actually incredible. It's literally the story before he meets with Esau. He has this encounter with God again at, at a river, and he wrestles with God physically. That's incredible. <laughs> I've never wrestled with God physically. I've wrestled with my son. Obviously, I'm stronger, so I'm winning at the moment. But maybe one day. He's got very long feet, so I think he's going to be taller than me one day. And then I'm going to have trouble. But, um, but he wrestled with God. And he sought. He, he, and he was holding on to God and saying, bless me. You cannot leave me. Bless me. And what was amazing is God actually said, what is your name? Jacob. Today, your name is going to be Israel. Because you wrestled with God. And the point is, we've got to seek God. We really we have to seek God. And it's, worthy. it's worth seeking Him. 
because the scripture goes on. It's incredible because it says that this person, and I want to say almost like I'm seeing a surrender here. Someone who brings their hands, clean their dirty hands, brings their dirty heart, uh, acknowledges their sins. They will receive blessing from the Lord. The next scripture says they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God, from God their Savior. Incredible word, vindication. It actually means righteousness. It's exactly the same word for righteousness. And it means that, it says here, receive righteousness. Who receives righteousness? Someone who comes to God with their dirty hands and their impure heart on a daily basis and engages with the Savior. I'm always blown away when salvation and things that are more New Testament seem to creep into the Old Testament. In the scripture here, it says, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. The word Savior there is Yesha. Jesus' name is Yeshua in the original language. So they engaged God, the Savior. And that's the difference with our God, with the King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's a Savior. Again, apologetics in me comes through, and I just think there's no other Savior. There is no other Savior in the world. You can go look at the history. You can go look at, at other religions. There's not a Savior, and there's definitely not a Savior that comes as God to this earth and becomes us and dies for us and buys back that entrance to heaven, buys back that, uh, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, Jesus can, and he is, and he did, and he's seated at God's right hand, and he's our high priest forever, forever. God is our savior. What's incredible about this, this word, vindication, righteousness, it actually also means deliverance, means rescue, it means victory, it means help, it means liberty. Incredible. So our external life, our internal life, must be turned in God's direction rather than towards any other source. We're on a journey. I think for us, especially us who have gotten saved, we've embraced Jesus as our salvation. He has washed us. As we sang, I just love that song. Whiter than snow. Our hands are white, pure. Our hearts are pure with the blood of Jesus. We're still on a journey. That's the reality. We will always dirty our hands. We will always dirty our hearts. But our habit must be to seek him. To seek him. To inquire, to require, to search, to consult, to practice. It's amazing. It's actually, seek is mentioned twice in that scripture. It says, that such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. The first time is inquire, require. The second time is actually to search out God in worship and prayer. That's actually the, what it actually means, that word seek. To strive after. There's actually an intensity in this word, to seek God. 
and intensity. And sometimes, guys, we need to intensely pursue God and, and seek Him. Not just when we need something, but when we're broken and when we are dirty. And we have to do that. It must just become a habit in our lives. It's a great habit for us to have. Desire, beseech, inquire. To seek his face. I've always been very confused. I'm, I love the word. But I've always been very confused about like, you know, the term seeking the face of God. And then there's some scriptures that say no one can see his face. I don't know if you've been confused by that before. But I'm like, but I mean, you know, I want to see his face. And then there's scriptures that say, but we can't see him, you know. And, uh, and even Moses and all these guys, Moses, who wants to see his glory, God has to, you know, I'm going to just pass by you like this. You'll see my back, which I think would be more than enough, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but what's incredible about seeking his face, what it means is the face of something is the front of it as it faces you. So all we're really desiring is to see God look at us, to see God facing towards us and engaging with us. We want to engage with God. We want him to engage with us. I love the fact that just after this section, it says Selah. Selah is to pause and calmly think about that. <laughs> There's a lot to think about in the scripture. And now for the last section, incredible section. Um, how I see this, this text is that it starts with this introduction. God the king. God is king. Why is he king? How can he claim to be king? Because he, he made the world. He made the world. Something went wrong. We want to still get to him. How do we get to him? We get to him by seeking him. We get to him by coming with our, broken, with our brokenness, with our dirty hands and seeking him. He, this is how he rules us, actually. So as king, he's ruling us at the moment. And he rules us in life in very precious, intimate ways when we connect with him, when we seek his face, when we inquire. He rules our hearts. He rules us. He teaches us. He's a great king. He really is a great king. I think we don't know kings. We don't grow up in a, you know, we've got the queen, and there's a few other queens and kings in the world, but we don't know that culture. We don't know what it is. But we do know the kingdom of God. So it's funny that we don't speak a lot about the king of the kingdom. Uh, we speak about the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of God. Uh, but the king is incredible. So here's this last section, which is really incredible. If you think about it in terms of David with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God coming into the city of Jerusalem, I almost think like, I don't know if you know the story, but when he brought the Ark the first time into Jerusalem, they brought it in the wrong way. So they brought it on a cart pulled by cows. And it fell, and one of, some guy stopped it, and he was struck, <laughs> struck dead. And, uh, and then David was very freaked out. And, uh, and he said, okay, it's going to go to this little town, and we're going to just check this thing out first. And then he inquired scripture. He came under the rule of God, and God spoke to them about how it must be transported. And it came into the city of Jerusalem, and he was dancing. And what's incredible again is he's the king of Israel. He's the king and he's taking off his clothes so he can be nice and just go for it. And, and he's dancing there and whirling. And he's, so, he's just like celebrating. 
the fact that the presence of God is coming back to the city of God. And just think of this, I'm going to read this now, and just think of that, and think of it for us today. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord Almighty. He's the Lord strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. It's incredible. Um, the Ark of the Covenant had two angels on top with their wings kind of pointed towards each other. And it says that the presence of God was enthroned in between those angels. Enthroned means he's the king. He's enthroned. Incredible, incredible scripture. Um, so I see this as two, it's speaking of two things, this portion of scripture. It's speaking of us as the church. We might, I, my first impression when I just read the scripture and before studying it, I thought, we're we speaking to the city. We're speaking to the country. You know, we're saying, open the doors. No, this is the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God coming to the people of God, the city of Jerusalem. And we are now, the church is the heavenly Jerusalem. This scripture is speaking to us corporately. The, first, the previous section was to us personally and individually. This section is speaking to us as church. It's speaking to us as church in this city of Joburg. We are a city inside a city. And we are supposed to shine as a city on the hill. So Jesus comes and he knocks on the door. And he says, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up your ancient doors. What's incredible is, I don't know if you see it, but it says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? So we're coming in first. And here in this portion, he's coming to us. He's actually coming, he's coming to the door and he's going, okay. And he's knocking on the door and he's saying, you know, open, open your doors. It's incredible. What I love is this is also speaking about the consummation of his kingdom. I feel like uh, today we don't really speak about the fact that we are actually waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We desire, and we should, in the early church, they had a, just a, a thing that they used to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Desiring his return, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's stand together. I'm just going to read to us Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. I just love this because this is the consummation. This is Jesus returning. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he sat on, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with which he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with an iron rod. 
he, treads, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has a robe on, and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A few hundred years later, Messiah was playing in London again, and Queen Victoria was attending. And by now it was a, I don't know if you know, but it's a tradition now to stand up in the Hallelujah Chorus when it plays. So if you go watch Messiah, it happens. When I went to watch in Cape Town, lo and behold, it happened. Now, it was etiquette, and she'd been kind of prepped that the queen does not have to stand. It was, the, it was the etiquette. The queen does not have to stand, but everyone else must stand. So it came to this chorus. The Lord God, omnipotent, reigneth. And she shuffled in her seat. And then it came to the last section. King of kings and Lord of lords. And she stood to her feet. And she bowed her head. Because there's one king. There's one king over all of us. Now, Father, tonight we just, we just acknowledge you as the king of our lives. We acknowledge you as the king of our lives. Lord, we love you. We love you, God. And we know that you love us with everything in you. You, have a crown, you had a crown of thorns, Jesus. The king had a crown of thorns to take that punishment for us. To save us. You are the greatest king there was. The greatest king there is and the greatest king that there will ever be. You are awesome. You are our savior king. You are the king of peace. You are the king of righteousness. You are the king of glory. And Lord, tonight I just bring all of us to you, Lord. I just bring all of us to you and I pray, I want to trust for all of us, God, that you just absolutely free us up, God, to pursue you with everything that's in us, God, to seek your face, to seek you, to run to you, God. Now, tonight, God, I want to pray, God, if there's any dirty hands in this place, God, and, and you're looking at your hands and you're going, there's no chance. There's no way that these stains can come off or this heart. And there's no way, there's no way that this heart can be, can be, clean, can be cleaned. I just pray for you tonight, and I just thank you, Jesus, that you are amazing. You are our Savior. You're personal. You embrace us. And thank you that your blood washes us white as snow. Thank you, Lord, that your blood purifies us. Thank you, Lord, that you make us white. You make us new. And we thank you for that, God. What a joy. Thank you for your presence right now, God. Now, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you know, just for your presence. 
just want to thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg may the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good for more information and sermons please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg